Welcome to Core 242 Podcast, brought to you by Core Community Covenant Church. Now let's dive into the Word of God with Pastor Max and Pastor Trish. Amen. So our last sermon, when we, when we ended on the armor of God, the last thing that, that we, we looked at after the, we deeply went into the cloak of vengeance, which was still one of my funnest um, Sermon, huh? That's not a word. It's not a word. Funnest? I think no. funnest. Most fun. It's it's like most fun, but est to it. <laughs> yeah. um, it's most funner. Funny, fun, <laughs> more funner. Yeah. Perfect. More funnest. Make sure all my teacher friends listen. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, the main thing they listen. Um, <laughs> so at the end of it, it's, it talks about that. The, the last part of it is prayer. We finished with that. That the most, the biggest powerful. Thing that we have is that we can't come to the Father in prayer. So yeah, we stand firm with the helmet of salvation, with breastplate of righteousness, with with the sword of the Spirit, with a shield of faith, with belt of um, truth. of truth, and the shoes or sandals or feet uh, in readiness of, of the gospel of peace. So we have all that, and we stand firm, but. Again, it's not us. We just stand firm. It's God and the Holy Spirit is what does everything else to keep us safe from all the attacks of the, whole, of the, the evil one. So we finished our, our teaching, last teaching, with the Lord's Prayer. And why do we want to look into the Lord's, the Lord's Prayer? Because there's got to be something important about it. Because when the disciples listened to the... When Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he was teaching about many things in that sermon. And then he started talking about prayer and things, things like that that's coming up to, to it and how to give and how to, he's going to talk about how to fast and everything else. And he's like, I should, we should teach you, they asked how, to, how they should pray, right? Uh, so he wanted to teach them how to pray. And it's interesting that we make things we always like to make things complicated because sometimes I just don't know what to say. I don't, there's so many people like when, when I pray, I don't know what to say and everything else. And, and Jesus tells us that when you, then when you pray, this is how you should pray. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it starts off this, this then is how you should pray. And then for some reason, there's all these theological books and videos and step by step of you know the you pray using acts i think we, we all have heard this at, at our at our younger christian christian faith you know that you should follow the acts or you should follow the abcd or you should follow the whatever there's this even they take the the lord's prayer and they break it up and this is how your prayer should look like and jesus made it very simple this is how you should pray and we make it complicated so one of the biggest things that we want we want to give you guys is, is this powerful weapon of prayer that came uh, the strategy and everything else came from Jesus himself what we need to do with the uh, the reason why the Lord's Prayer is not powerful anymore because it became a um, some, 
routine. It became something that we say and move on. Just like sometimes the communion is something that we do and we move on. It's something that worship is just the first 15 minutes of the first service and we move on. It's just the prayer before the meal. It's something that we say before we eat. That's, and it takes away from the power. So what we wanted to, to dive in, the reason why God put on our hearts to, to teach on the Lord's Prayer is that it's so powerful. It's so powerful. Again, if we, if we pause for a second and take the, the understanding that God's Son came down to earth and taught us exactly how to pray. And he gave us the words of how to pray. It's, a, it's always, I love when people ask for blessings. And I was like, what kind of blessings? Was, I don't need to look very far. I'm just going to go to Numbers. Because God tells Aaron, this is how you should bless my people. May the Lord bless you and keep you that, that, that blessing. We have that blessing already there in the word of God. It's straight from God's mouth. There's power there. It's not a magical thing. The big thing that's going to happen if you say those words. But if we want to bless somebody and we, with the Holy Spirit, just speak over them the words that God gave Aaron, uh, Moses to speak for Aaron to bless his people. It's powerful. So there's powers in those words. There's powers in those words. So that's what we're going to look into it. So I'm going to read this through, and then we're going to dive, dive into uh, more information about this. So verse Matthew 6, verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So as we we're preparing, it's, it's really interesting. Matthew is something, and uh, Trish, I don't know if you want to dive a little bit more into this. Matthew was written to Jewish people. And it's one of the gospels that was written in Hebrew originally. Most of the New Testament text was written in, in, in Greek, most of it, right? Uh, but Gospel of Matthew was written to, to, in Hebrew because it was targeted to the Jewish people, um, mostly to the Jewish believers, but also to those who were not, those who would hear it, right? So the manuscript in Hebrew has, the original manuscript has been lost because it was translated into Greek. So what we have, the earliest manuscripts that remain in Matthew are actually in Greek, but there's evidence throughout the book, um, and there's actually a, a tradition of a Hebrew Matthew that's been passed on and actually was held um, by by Jewish sects. Um, so it was lost to the Christian streams, but Jewish tradition has actually kept a Gospel of Matthew, especially all the way through the Spanish Inquisition, because there was a time when Jews had to defend their faith, and so the, the Gospel of Matthew was what they used to learn to know what they were dealing with with Christianity so that they could defend their Jewish faith against the Spanish Inquisition. So there's actually a Hebrew version of the book of Matthew. Um, it's very odd. But it's, it's important to understand because there's things that if, um, if you don't have this context when you read the prayer, first of all, um, this is written to a Jewish audience and Matthew is a very Jewish book. And so the themes throughout have to do with what they would be familiar with in the Jewish scriptures. And a lot of times I know I've been taught right out of the box that people, when they, when they teach about the, the prayer of our father, it's that when Jesus said our father, it was this revolutionary foreign 
earth-shattering thing that they had never heard before to refer to God as Father. But the book of Matthew actually refers, Jesus refers to God as his Father, and Matthew refers to the Heavenly Father 44 times. So it's a theme throughout the entire book of Matthew, meaning that our primary orientation should be that God is our Father. And this is not just in the prayer of the Our Father, but it's throughout the entire Gospel of Matthew. And it's not a theme that's totally new um, to Scripture, to, to the New Testament. This is a theme, as we'll see, that actually is found in the, throughout the Scriptures of the Old Testament, the theme of God as our Father and us as his children. Um, so just we want to put this in context that this, this prayer... Um, was being taught in a Hebrew context to Jewish people um, with a Jewish understanding. And so the themes throughout are, are going to be themes that are very familiar to the average Jewish person. And they might not be familiar to us, but things like give us a stay our daily bread. The daily bread that referring to that would, would have resonated with them would have been they would have thought of the manna that they received during Exodus. So when we unpack this prayer, we want to unpack it in the context of the overarching themes of the scriptures and not just in this small context. At the same time, what we need to understand is that Jesus made this prayer very, very simple. Um, looking at the text just before, uh, this is in the context of him teaching them how to pray. And he says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And so what was revolutionary about this prayer was that it's short, it's simple, it's easy to memorize. And the themes are easy to grasp and easy to understand and can be transferred. So it, it becomes something that, you know, we're supposed to come to the Lord as even as little children. And this is a prayer that's simple enough for a child to learn. But yet, as we look at word by word, each word is so intentional that there's theological elements that have implications for us that you could dwell on this text for years and months and get something new out of it every time. So it's simple enough for a child to grasp, but profound enough that theologians can study it for a lifetime. And that's what's so incredible about the richness of the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it is amazing that all the scriptures, the way they were written, again, we're trying to make it so complicated, but they're meant for a rabbi to see it, read them and understand and for a shepherd and for a child. And for, so it, it had to be, because one of the laws was that the Jewish people needed to hear the law, right? They needed to, to hear, there, were, there was a law that every week, every month, when, when did they supposed to come together to hear the word? Every seven years. Every seven years. So read the scriptures from beginning to end. So everybody should have heard it, so there had to be an understanding to it too. So the, the writing should not be that complicated. And again, we, may, we make it a little bit complicated. Uh, but what, the first thing that I want to start, start off is the first word. Our Father, our, our, I feel like is a very pow powerful thing because what it shows is shows community. For for me, it hit me very much because unity is such a is such an important part 
in, in my life and in my ministry. So when I when we saw this, our father thinks that when it says that you, when you should pray, this is how you should pray. And the first word is our. That means that I can't be by myself saying our father because I, I'm by myself. It would be my father, right, if I'm by myself. But if I have somebody else there with me, then it becomes our father. So right there, Jesus is teaching that prayer time should be a community thing. There should not be alone that when we come to the Father, there's something important about of us coming together. And later on, Jesus does teach us about when two or more are gathered, right? But it's our Father. It's, I think it's, it's, it's so wonderful that he starts off. The other thing, it, it, it points out that he puts, he puts all of us on this level of as children of God. That just as he says, he's our Father, but he's my Father, he also says... You are connected. He's your father too. He's our father. So we're all connected in this family under God. So it's it's a beautiful way of of reminding ourselves that we are one body. So and in another instance where Jesus prays, this is actually in John chapter seventeen. Another beautiful text that we have a record of Jesus praying directly. Um, John seventeen, starting in verse twenty, he says. This is before he gets arrested and before he goes to the cross. So it's important. What words would Jesus choose as he faces his death? What words would he choose as, as he is betrayed and persecuted and sent to, to be crucified? He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and you have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those who you have given with me, given me to be where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. And so we see here this this emphasis that it's just one word, our, but the choice of the word our instead of saying heavenly father or the father or my father there's this emphasis on unity that god wanted us to have to not do this christian walk alone we're meant to do our christian journey our christian formation in the context of community and even in our intimate prayer time though he says here to go into your room and to pray in secret it's not necessarily that you're in secret alone you're in your in your community um, with the fellowship of believers, uh, you know, it talks about how they were in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. Um, there's, they were in uh, the upper room together when Jesus appeared to Thomas and allowed him to put his hand in his side. So there's these, this withdrawing, meaning that we don't make a public spectacle of our prayer and we don't babble on and on and on, but that we, there's this importance of praying in community and that this prayer was specifically designed and meant for us to pray in the context of Christian community. And the, the importance of unity is, is not lost, even in just the simple word that, again, he makes this prayer so simple. And yet each and every word is, is intentionally crafted um, to communicate a message to us. Yeah, and during that, that time, especially on, on, under the Roman Empire, for, for Jewish people to be able to gather at a temple or to even open up a temple, they needed to have at least 10 people. That was, that was kind of the law. It was called dominion. Yeah, so for, for them to open a temple, they needed to gather at least 10 people so that way they can come and have Sabbath, that they can have 
um, services where they can hear the Torah being read. So for them to be able to finally hear the word and, and get deeper into it is they needed the community. They needed the 10 people. And, and there was there was a teaching that, that that minion, that number of in order for a prayer to be heard by the Lord, in order for certain liturgical things to take place, you needed to have at least 10 um, came from the interaction that Abraham has with God where he's pleading over Sodom and Gomorrah and he says, would you withhold your judgment from the city for 50? And he, he continues to go back and forth and the final number that he lands on is 10. And so in Jewish tradition, they held to this that you needed to have a group of 10 believers in order for the presence of God to, to be in that place and for him to truly hear your prayers for it to be considered a gathering of his people. So you could pray individually, but your faith is not meant to be an individual faith. And I feel like this is so important in American culture where it's like, well, this is my walk is between me and God. My faith is between me and the Lord. It's my personal walk with Jesus, right? We even say this, like it's, I don't believe in religion. I believe in a personal relationship. And while we do believe in a personal relationship, what happens is when you overemphasize that, you lose the context of the fact that you, you need accountability, you need discipleship, you need community, you need people to lean on, to pray for you, to intercede for you. You know, there's so many things that we need in the body of Christ that when one part suffers, the rest suffers. And when we make our faith so individualized, then we don't even need church, right? Because you can just stream it online. You can just watch through, you know, um, through an online service and you don't even need to be present. And I think there's something great about technology, like we have Amy Jo on the line today because of technology. And I think that's, that's wonderful that she can join in fellowship with us. But w there is a need for that local community. There's the need for the relationship. It's not the, the one-way entertainment culture. Um, but yeah. we, need to, we need to have that relationship. Again, in, in this, going back to the prayer, um, the, I think it's just beautiful that he says, our father and not the father that there's this possessive ownership, there's the relationship, there's a connection in the use of the, gram the grammar of having a possessive pronoun in that place. Yeah, what was this? There was a saying something about it's better to have 10 cobblers than nine rabbis. What, what yes, that's exactly the saying. So because if you had nine, you didn't have a sufficient number to be able to, to participate in liturgy. But if you had 10 simple Jewish cobblers, 10 was better than nine rabbis because even if they weren't educated in the faith, you had the number that you needed in order to you know, fill a quorum. And, I, and what, what we know is that Jesus then goes on and he, he says this groundbreaking thing that through the Holy Spirit, where two or more are gathered, he is there. So the number is, you know, that again, he's, it's not that he's not with us when we're alone, but his presence manifests differently and in a more powerful way when we come together in unity as believers. Did kids count towards the 10 or did they have to be like you had to be 13. Age of 13? Yeah. 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 Oh, so if you're pregnant, it doesn't count. <laughs> no. Yeah, so. <laughs> Some of us really, can count as double. That's a genuine question. Some of us can count as double. So. So getting into father. Really no, I still, uh, we're, we're still the R. Oh, you're I, I love the R. I'm we're sorry. Not we're going to get the, past the first We're in word. a unity. No, it's just going to be really quick. In Hebrews chapter 10, <laughs> in Hebrews chapter 10, 25, I want to read the 25 first and then I'll read 24. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see that they approach. And so the writer of Hebrews, he talks about, because he noticed that people stop gathering. There is, he wrote this because he noticed, right? He wouldn't have arrived if they, if they were still meeting. So he noticed that they're not coming together. 
And why does he want them to come together? So that they would encourage one another. That's the, that's the difference because you can't be by yourself and you can read your Bible by yourself. But now it's all on you. And sometimes that's not enough. You need that brother and sister in Christ to pray for you, to, to encourage you, to, to guide you, to just be there for you. Uh, verse beforehand, 24, it says, And let us not consider, and let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. So when we have that relationship, when we have those people around us, when we come together as our, under our Father, now we can, now we can uh, love one another and spur one another. I love that word spur because, again, that spur to me, it's, it's kind of pokey. But it's spur one another to, um, to do good deeds, mm. towards love and good deeds. Hmm. So when we see that, when we come together and we see that we're doing something that shouldn't be done, or we see something in you, and we're like, I see something in you. Let me encourage you to do that. But if you're by yourself at home and you have all these great ideas and there's nobody there to be like, you know what? You're right. I can see God using you in this. Right. That's what we need that because God could be talking to you forever and you could be going like this for a long time. Right. But if you have somebody and you share that dream or they see that gift in you, they're going to be like, hey, you should do that. I'll be praying for you to do that. Hey, how can I encourage you to go through that, right? So that's the importance of gathering and being a body of Christ and being under our Father, right? All right, so Father. Now we can go to Father. We can move on to Father. (laughs) I needed to throw that in. So Father, I already mentioned, is a theme in the book of Matthew. Um, It's also a theme throughout Scripture, and we're not going to... For the sake of time, we're not going to read all these scriptures, but I just want to give you some examples so you're welcome to look them up and write them down. Um, you've got Jeremiah 31.9, Isaiah 64.8, Isaiah 63.16, Deuteronomy 32.6, Jeremiah 3.19, Malachi 2.10, Proverbs 3.12, Psalm 103.13, Malachi 1.6. There's, there's more, but these are just a few of the examples that are throughout the Old Testament um, I, you can copy these down later Thanks. if you want. Uh, it's it's got to be on recording. And it's on oh, the yeah. recording. <laughs> so these are just a few of the texts that refer uh, to, to God as Father. And I'll, I'll read one or two as just an example. Isaiah 64, 8 says, But now, O Lord, thou art our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And then another one in Jeremiah three nineteen, he says, but I said, how shall I put you among the children and give you a pleasant land, a godly, goodly heritage of hosts of nations? And I said, you shall call me my father and shall not turn away from me. So there's these examples through scripture. Yeah. There's these examples throughout the, the Old Testament of God being known as a father. Um, there's also, which is perfectly timely, between Rosh Hashanah and the Day of Atonement, which is the season that we're actually in right now, um, there is a prayer that refers to, it's called the Avinu Malkeinu prayer, and, and that is um, our Father, our King. And it's the only time of the year that this prayer is prayed, but they pray for 10 days, our Father, our King. Um, and th- there's more to the prayer, but just for the sake of what we're discussing, um, the theme of God being a Father, but also being a King um, is something that permeates Jewish culture. And what we actually found is that uh, the, the reverse, it's not that when Jesus taught this, saying referring to God as Father was a shock to the Jewish people, because it wasn't. He refers throughout all of his teachings 
And if he had just said father at one point, they probably would have stoned him to death. But the referring to God as father was something that was a theme, especially in the prophets throughout scripture. So it wasn't something revolutionary. What has happened, though, is that Christian tradition of looking at God as father has become such a core identity that we're in Jewish culture. God was mostly king, but he was also the father of creation in Christian perspective. God is first father, but then he's also a king. And so the the theme of God as father became so associated with Christian culture that Jewish tradition actually moved away from looking at God as father because it was associated with Christianity. And so now in modern Jewish culture, they don't really talk about it's, it would be almost sacrilegious because God is so holy and so almighty and so other that referring to him as father, but they consider themselves the children of God, the children of Israel, the children of... And so these themes are all throughout scripture. Um, It wasn't anything revolutionary or groundbreaking, but it was meant to give us our core identity that we don't refer to in this prayer that God gave us. We don't come to him first and say our heavenly king. We come to him first and say our heavenly father, that our first orientation to God is is one as a child coming to his Hmm. beloved parent Um, and and that's why he um, even says right before do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him so the way that we approach not only in title but the things that we ask for the way that we pray changes whether you're talking to a king versus if you're talking to your father right I mean they're very different very different approach very different uh, content that we would bring based on the way that we orient ourselves to the father yeah it's it's something i feel like important because again remember during those times there were so many gods and all those gods have names right the baal and usher and uh aramis and hundreds and hundreds of gods and they had all names and our god was let us letting us be so intimate with him and call him our father mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is a powerful thing, and I was I was talking to Trish, and I got choked up with what we were talking about because I looked at only my son can call me Papa. Mm. There's lots of people who can call me Max, but only my son can call me Papa. None, nobody else has that right. The same thing with with this is that us being able to call call him our Father, it's a big privilege. It's a huge intimacy. Others cannot. Those who do not have that relationship with him, they cannot call him his, uh, our father. Right. So that, that, that was just one of those aha moments after 25 years of being with the Lord. I was like, it's a privilege. It's such a privilege to do that. So. And Romans 8.14 highlights this. It says, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So not everyone can call him father. Not everyone is considered a child of God. You become a child of God. Um, it says, I'm going to come back to the Romans verse in a second, but in Galatians 3.26, it says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So we become sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, through our baptism into the family of God, through our adoption. And it says, so going back to Romans 8, it says uh, in verse 14, because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. 
And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, that we may also share in his glory. So there's this beautiful imagery that we can become children of God and that our spirit cries out, Abba, Father. There's this deep longing within us mm-hmm. that even if our earthly fathers were not in our life or were absent or were abusive, um, we have this hole that, that only our Heavenly Father can fill. Mm-hmm. And there's this longing to, that he says, I will not leave you as orphans. He promises us that. And, and there's this, we've been adopted into this heavenly uh, family and we become children of God and we become, uh, he becomes our father. And there's this intimate relationship that we can pour out our hearts and pour out our spirits. And even from a desperate place, we can just cry out, Abba, Father. Um, and we don't have to worry about all of the pomp and circumstance of him being a king. And, um, and though he is almighty and though he is holy and though he is completely other, there's an intimacy that we've been given this right, this rightful, uh, this right to intimacy that we've been granted through our adoption as sons and daughters of the king. Yeah, and as you were speaking about it, I'm wondering in that when in Matthew 25 when he talks about the separation when they're like, Lord, Lord, and he says, I never knew you. Mm-hmm. That the, the they went to him as his title, but not as who he is. You know, mm-hmm. they said Lord, Lord, but they never said father and i don't i don't know what it is but it just it kind of hit me because if they would cried out father would there be a different response mm-hmm. yeah Good. have to chew on that one right? yeah we haven't researched that one yeah. so the the next statement our father who are who, who are in heaven or our Heavenly Father. There's, there's so many translations of this and everything else. But the point is in heaven. So what, one of the things... So there, there's, there's an interesting thing about, about this, him being in heaven. And the look of this, you know, from Genesis to, to now, there's this, again, separation, right? We see God the Father speaking with Adam and Eve when they were in the, in the, in the, in the garden together and everything else. And... People were close to him and speaking to him, and they were able to see. Moses was able to see him, the backside of him, but he got to see him. The people of Israel got to hear him through lightning and thunder when they were going through ex- uh, in Exodus. There, there was a there was a cloud, and then there was a, a, a fire. And all, all that's not there. There was a way of evidence of God. So he w- he was there. He, he, he the earth was his dominion. He lived there. He has power over it and everything else. And then here we see our Father who are in heaven. So it's, it's kind of a little bit of uh, maybe of separation. It's like but, that prayer, the, what was it? The Avinu Malkenu. It's our Father, our King. So when we say our Father who's in heaven, it's like you're our Father, but you're still a King and you reign in heaven and you have a throne and the earth is your footstool. And so we recognize that you are still almighty and other and there's a respect that comes with it um a respect that comes with approaching uh approaching god and approaching him in prayer yeah ecclesiastes has has this interesting uh, interesting uh, verse in chapter five and they're talking about just the whole chapter uh, at least the beginning of the chapter talks about like just people, people just coming into the temple doing what they think and they think you know it's the words and the and the offering is going to be all good and and uh, the writer of ecclesiastes reminds them it says uh in verse 2 chapter 5 verse 2 do not be quick with your mouth 
Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you're on earth, so let your words be few. So it's, it's kind of reminding us, like, hey, you're coming in and you're, you're doing all this talk. And it's like, oh, I have sacrifice. So here's, I, brought, I brought the burnt offering and this and that. Um, and it's like, remember who you're talking to. You're still on earth. And this is God. Come correct before, before the Lord. And I thought it was, and I was reading through the, through the chapter, and it was a very, very big reminder how honored we are to come before God. To, to understand him, we got to put him. So, yeah, he's our father, but he's also in heaven. There, there's got to be this understanding. His ways are not our ways, and yeah. his thoughts are not our thoughts. And so there, there has to be a humility that comes, a respect that comes with the position that, that he holds. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, we like to quote this verse, Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And we're real quick to say, oh, I can come to God with confidence. I can come to him. We, we want to approach God and just talk to him any old way. And we need to be careful of that because although he's our father, we still should come with respect of recognizing that he sits on a throne, that he's a king. And, and even just as a father, that we're just children, that we know nothing. And again, that his, his thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. His ways are so much higher than our ways. And so even though we come with confidence knowing that he hears us, there's also a humility of recognizing that he hears us <laughs> all the time. <laughs> and so we're standing before him by grace. We're standing before him by mercy where we've been engrafted into his family and adopted as sons. But that that is not um, that's because of his grace and his mercy, not because of anything that we've done, not because. So we shouldn't come rashly or boldly or or like he said, like the pagans with many words babbling um, but we should come with intentionality. We should come with humility. We should come with purpose and with vulnerability. Um, those things are all acceptable, but we shouldn't come and just approach God any old way, mm. you know, shaking our fists and throwing mm. a tantrum, um, but recognizing that he is the almighty God and that we are like dust. We are like the grass in the field that withers and fades away. Yeah, that's, that's, I think it's a good point. So it's something that we need to... We really do need to remember. With respect. respect. With respect. It's, uh, again, before Something that's been lost in our culture. Mm. We, we don't show much respect for authority. And so it's, it's one of those things that I think, especially in the church, you know, you hear people, we joke about it, like referring to God as sky daddy and all this. It, it, there's an over-comfortableness. Um, and there's a loss of that. Yeah, there's a loss of that honor that is due the name of, of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, that we've we've lost over over time and yeah. with tradition. Yeah, I was asking I was asking Micah. I was like, "Would you ever call me by my first name?" He's like, "Absolutely not." <laughs> I was like, "Why why not?" I was like, "Respect. Like, I can't just come to you like you're not my friend. You're my father. You're my papa. So I can't just." He's like, "If I would call you by your first name, it would be a disrespect. So like, if he would address me in a certain way, it would be very disrespectful. So mm-hmm. it just it's a reminder of." You're my father. I'm your child. So the same thing when we come, come, come before him. Not only the reminder that it's our father, but he's also he's, he's a heavenly. It's a father. title. It's a title. Which actually gets into the last the part, part of yeah. the sermon today, which is the "Hallowed be your name," which in the original language is "Sanctified be your name." In other words, may your name be set wow. apart. May your name be made holy. May your name be elevated. It's a command. 
to, to elevate and lift his name, so to praise his name. So there's two ways that we can sanctify his name in word and in action. Uh, so through word, through praise, through prayer, through worship, um, as we praise the name of the... And again, Father is his title. It's not his name. His name actually, I, ironically, there's we can get into a whole teaching just about the name of God. But in, in the burning bush... Uh, encounter that Moses has in the book of Exodus, God reveals his name and it's in Hebrew, yod heh vav And we've lost, because it was considered so sacred, the name of God, that you couldn't utter it. Um, we've actually lost and we don't know, no longer know how to properly pronounce um, what his name truly is as God the Father. So we don't, we don't actually know God's first name for sure. Some people have translated it Yahweh, Jehovah, Yehovah, um, there's a lot of different theoretical possibilities about how to pronounce the, you know, the, those letters with the vowels, um, with the proper vowels, but that has actually been lost. Um, and in our, interestingly, this is just a fact for you, for you to know, that our, our Old Testament, um, the original scribes who learned Hebrew in order to translate for Christians, um, learned from Jewish, Jewish rabbis how to translate from, they learned Hebrew from Jewish rabbis, and the Jewish rabbis felt that the name of the Lord was so holy that they told our scribes that when you translate into Greek or into anything, that you write for everywhere where it says yod heh vav the letters for like Yahweh or Jehovah, you write the Lord. And so if you look through your scriptures, every time, like right here, I just flipped open to one, there's um, Exodus 27. It says, the Lord is in the right and I... I and the people are in the wrong. And Lord is all little caps. I'm sure you've seen it in your mm-hmm. Bible. But when, whenever you see it in little caps, the word there is actually yod heh vav It's actually mm-hmm. the first name, the name of the Lord. Um, but we've, we've replaced it. Um, and so over 6,000 times in the Old Testament, Yahweh or Jehovah or whatever, however we pronounce it. Again, so sacred, so holy. We we've now lost. We don't know how to properly pronounce His name because that's what we, what the scribes were taught to do by the Jewish rabbis who taught them to translate from the Hebrew. And so we've lost we've lost it. But if you look in the original Hebrew manuscripts, the manuscripts actually have Yod Hey Vav Hey everywhere where those that that word the Lord is written everywhere where the minute the little caps. Right, but they took out all the vowels? Yes. Well, there were originally in Hebrew, the vowels were not written. The vowels were added later, and so we don't know exactly what has happened um, to that. Why did they choose the Lord? Well, they chose the Hebrew tradition, they say Adonai, which means it's a title that means Lord. Oh, so instead of saying, so instead of, they say Adonai. Adonai. Yeah. Why didn't we just put Adonai? Uh, there's a few times where it says, yeah, I don't know, exactly. I'm so confused. Right. I'm going to do some it, study. On it's, it's one of the things that it's ironic because in, in Jewish tradition, they, the name of the Lord was so honored and so sacred that when they would write his name, they would break the pen and they would get a new, a new, um, writing utensil. Um, the, it was forbidden to, it became forbidden to say his name. Um, and when you read scripture, when you ran across his name, you were supposed to say Adonai instead. And ironically, what has happened is, is that they tried so hard to make him so other and so holy that it actually has dishonored because now we've forgotten. We no longer know his his name because mm-hmm. it's been lost in the times of tradition. So it's something that's kind of 
actually pretty tragic in in the faith tradition. Yeah, I remember when I became a Christian, I wanted to hold on to my 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 Jewish tradition and Jewish faith. Well, my mentor, who was a messianic a messianic uh, rabbi, he taught me when I would write God, it would be G dash D, so I would complete the word. Mm. So for a long time, that's how I would write it, but then. All the Christians thought I was goofy, so I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna finish it. But, but I it, see that a lot. But but I have seen other Jewish people write it. That's kind of I identify like when I see that G dash D, I'm like, oh, okay, they have a Jewish understanding uh, of this. So it's just one of those things where you you really keep it holy. It is set apart for 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 you to use God God's name. It's 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 a holy thing. Right. Even to say that I'm a Christian and he's my father, mm-hmm. I'm putting his name, mm-hmm. since I'm his child, I, I take on his name as his family name. Like, that's, that's holy. That's right. And we'll get into it when we do the Ten Commandments. But it's, 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 this should set us apart. That, so that this, word should yeah. set us apart. And this phrase, sanctified be your name, the reason why we kind of got on this, what seems like a rabbit trail, but it really isn't, is because it not only in this prayer is telling us that the name of God should be set apart as holy and that we should do that, but it's it's a theme that is was important in Jewish tradition that the name, the Hashem of God, was set apart as sacred and holy. And so this is something that they would have heard and said, yes, of course, the name of God should be set apart as sacred and holy. And I do, I love that illustration of, of, a child like we if we have earthly fathers it's disrespectful to refer to them by their by their first name you refer to them as dad or papa or father or whatever your tradition you know papi tells you what what you know whatever the tradition is that you're brought up in um that you call your father and it's actually disrespectful to use their first name and if we're children of god it, it could be just as simple as looking at it that way um and again we've but we have this intimacy with god and we can sanctify his name in, in those two ways, in word and in action. Um, in word, you have some? Yeah, Psalm 150, verse 6. This is the, the book of Psalms ends with, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord, or mm. hallelujah. And the word there for Lord is the small caps Lord. So it's actually, let everything that has breath praise Jehovah or Jehovah or Yahweh, however we say his name. One day we will know his name and we'll know it in all of its glory. And the second thing is in action, that we sanctify God's name. We set apart God's name as holy. And this is, this is pretty simple. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So another way that we can show people that God is holy and that God is other is by our good deeds, by our good works, by our actions, that when people see that we're living in holiness and that our actions are good um, and we give glory to God the Father, that we elevate his name and we give his kingdom more praise. Um, We sanctify his name through not only our words, but through what we choose and what we do. Yeah. So next time when when you have a, you're praying this prayer and hopefully this is going to be become something that you would, it would be a, a daily prayer for you, just a reminder. I really hope that these words, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be their name, would be more powerful to, to, to prepare you to come before him with, in, with whatever else that follows. But I think that that kind of prepares our heart 
in prayer. And I think that's what Jesus wanted us to do, that before we come, we know who we come into. We know who we are to the person we're coming to. And, uh, like, and we know how to come. And we know how I think to come. as Christians, we have this sacred intimacy that is so unique and so special. And we have to be careful to hold that tension that we have this heaven, this father, but he's in heaven and he's holy. And so when we come to him, we come to him with intimacy, but we also come to him with the respect that's due his name. Thank you for spending time with us during this episode. We pray that this teaching blessed you and brought you closer to understanding God. If you'd like to contact us, please email us at corechurch242 at gmail.com. Until next time, know you are loved and covered in prayer.